This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is brought to you by Artbase. Are you managing an art collection or an artist studio or a gallery? Is it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? Well, Artbase is the right software to manage your art business. Artbase allows you to track your artworks and contacts in an easy-to-use, powerful database. Enter your data once, and you can use that data to generate reports, offers, contracts, and so much more. They've got a brand new version out with a whole new look that can be used on the cloud from any location on any device. So what are you waiting for? Go to artbase.com today to learn more and be sure to mention Art Tactic for a 15% discount. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. We have a special episode of the podcast for you this week, a mailbag episode. If you aren't familiar, that's where we answer questions submitted by you, the listener. We received dozens of questions, and myself and Anders Peterson, founder of Art Tactic, answered a lot of them. We touched on a variety of topics, ranging from art fairs to how the art market succeeded despite the pandemic, and of course, we even touched on NFTs. We had a lot of fun doing the mailbag episode, and given the number of questions we received, we're planning on doing this again later this year. So hope you enjoy the episode, and thanks so much for listening. Anders, thanks so much for coming on. How have you been? Uh, very well, Adam. Thanks for inviting me to this thing. I'm excited about it. Me too. It should be a lot of fun. So our first question is from Alexander in London, who asked, what was Freeze New York like? And do you think there will be in-person art fairs later this year in Europe, Asia, and the US? So I guess I can jump in and start answering this one since I attended Freeze New York uh, last week. It was really an interesting week in New York City. It really felt like not just that there was an art fair, but it really felt like freeze week. And by that, I mean there was the art fair, there were auction previews for Sotheby's and Christie's with their major May auctions occurring this week. There were a lot of fantastic gallery exhibitions. It really seemed like the galleries intentionally scheduled some really high-quality gallery uh, shows during this time. And then there were a lot of amazing museum exhibitions. So overall, it's a great time for the arts in New York City. The actual fair was pretty interesting. I think people really weren't sure what to expect leading up to it. Um, it was an abridged fair. Normally there's around 180 galleries exhibiting. This year there are about 60, 65 galleries. So it was a smaller, more intimate fair. In terms of people traveling, it didn't feel like there was really that many people from Europe, which is to be expected given the pandemic. Not many people from Asia as well. I did notice a good amount of people travel from different places in the U.S. So if we're talking about California, Texas, Florida, we saw a lot of that, which was which was a good sign. And I, I kind of view this as a baby step for maybe later this year or next year for the full return of in-person art fairs. But overall, it at the end of the day, it kind of felt like a normal Freeze New York uh, fair. Um, the art was pretty good. There were a few exceptional booths. Um, people felt really comfortable attending the fair. Uh, Freeze did a good job of limiting the, the capacity at any given time. Um, so it never felt empty. It never felt crowded. Everyone felt safe. You had to upload a vaccine card or a recent COVID test. 
So everyone felt comfortable. It was great to see people in person and to network and to see art. Um, and sales seemed to be uh, strong, um, just like any other year. So um, overall, it was a good first step. You know, I definitely think Art Basel Miami will be happening later this year. And uh, hopefully all the other fairs planned for the U.S. this year will, will be occurring since I think from a logistics and perspective and just from operational perspective, it went really well and everyone felt safe. But yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts being in London. Um, how are things in Europe right now? What are you hearing about fairs and if they'll happen later this year uh, in Europe and maybe even in Asia as well? well thanks, Adam. I mean, it sounds like you had a great, great time. And I, I guess it's a sort of what you see is probably hopefully a, maybe a template for what we're going to see in Europe and um, uh, Asia, you know, for the, for the remainder of the year. Um, well, here I'm sitting in the UK and we just kind of, I guess, just gradually opening up bit by bit. Uh, again, as you said, baby steps, I think is uh, the kind of the term that I, I like to use. Um, we are, uh, I guess, in the process now of, you know, certain kind of travel restrictions are lifted although very limited in terms of where we can travel and and how we can travel so i guess just in the sort of the well up until the summer i guess there will still be uh you know a fair amount of uncertainty of how much travel actually can happen but i, I do think actually coming into the september october month that we hopefully will be back to some kind of normality and that the fairs whether it's art basel in in switzerland or freeze FIAC and others will uh, will will take place as normal, but obviously probably not not normal as we would think prior to the uh, to the pandemic, but in a in a more kind of controlled fashion. And I guess there will be more uh, a sort of sense of a local aspect to to these fairs. I think people are maybe going to prioritize their traveling, um, you know, differently from what they've done in the past, and maybe now with limited options might sort of, you know, prefer or prioritize uh, personal travel and personal leisure rather than maybe more on the commercial side. So I, I, but I do, I do, I think, I think what you've seen in the, uh, in, in New York uh, is hopefully, you know, a kind of a, as I said, a template for, for what is going to happen later on this, this year for, for Europe as well. So it feels definitely uh, much lighter now. And obviously with the vaccine being rolled out at a, at a much rapid uh more rapid speed in europe at the moment i think with it you know it bodes well for a return of a more in-person art market uh you know coming into the autumn so um so let's cross fingers that it will stay like that yeah definitely and i, I think an interesting part of that is that it seems like the situation's different in different countries in europe um like uk it seems great i was speaking to someone at a blue chip gallery in Europe who said, you know, they really weren't sure if Basel, Switzerland will happen this year, but they seemed really confident that Freeze London will. So it seems mm. like, you know, every month as we get closer and closer, we'll, we'll learn more. But, um, you know, at least from my experience at Freeze New York, it was a good fair. And I'm hopeful that more of these happen this year um, instead of having to wait till 2022. So our, so our next question is from Otto Steinway, who asked, are you thinking about a new course about the NFT trend? So do you want to tackle that one? Yeah, well, uh, it's definitely, uh, we're actually doing later on this um, this week, um, on Thursday, we're doing a little webinar to start off with, um, which is a conversation with me and the CEO of uh, VArt uh, to talk a little bit about, I guess, the NFT and the art world. I mean, there's been so much focus on NFT now over the last three months, and it's, you know, both in terms of the media and, I guess, 
it's, it's a kind of a term that is virtually whether you talk to a 80 year old or a 20 year old is something that everyone has an opinion on uh, seems to these days um so so the answer is yes uh we're starting a little bit as uh, slowly by first as i said introducing a webinar where we're also launching our first uh inaugural report on the nft uh market um which is probably going to be a, a series of reports looking at different aspects of this market as it evolves. I mean, it's just, it's been sort of incredible and dramatic development in a very short space of time. So to try to kind of come up with a report that stays relevant um, in one go, we thought that actually it's better to do this in a in a series of reports. So the first one will be launched on Thursday, uh, which is the same time as the webinar. Um, and in terms of turning this into a course, I think we probably will do that. Um, more likely that that will happen in the, I would say in the autumn when we have a little bit more perspective and a little bit more uh, sense of how this market has evolved. I think we're as I still, still a little bit in the flux of um you know exactly what it what it means um and and what what it means for the art world in general so there what i guess what our angle is to really start to think about nfts in the context of the traditional art market you know to what extent is this going to uh, impact the traditional stakeholders as we know them today uh should they embrace it should they stay back should they wait should they be involved uh, all these kind of questions um which i think it's you know it's important to to bear in mind and I, but i definitely i think it's an incredibly exciting time and i've never seen uh well as long as we've done research which is over the last 20 years now uh so much change in so much uh, a short space of time uh with potential consequences that i think you know could be long lasting and actually um uh yeah it could have a dramatic impact in in a in in a, in a positive way i think for the art market going forward i don't know what your what your thoughts are adam on this yeah i mean i i'm i guess a few things come to mind one is we really seem to i'm curious to follow how we have these well we have these fine artists who are dipping their toes into this space and creating nfts and then there are also these artists who come from the nft world like people like mad dog jones yep. we saw do a yep. sale at phillips for over four million dollars so you know i'm curious to, to track both of these worlds and see you know if there's sustained success and um you know if there's crossover right if some of these NFT artists start making physical art, will fine artists continue to produce NFTs? Will more of them produce NFTs? Um, so mm -hmm. I'm curious to see how that goes. And, um, you know, I think that will be really telling, you know, I think, and I think by the end of the year, we'll have a lot better sense of where things are because things are, as you said, we're really still in the nascent stages of this, but things are moving really, really quickly. And, um, in a really volatile way, so I'm I'm really curious to see how things end up. I will say, I am really uh, you know if we talk about the technology of transacting an NFT, I'm really envious of how straightforward it is. How you can just buy an NFT um, and through the blockchain, the money transfers almost instantly, and then the artwork's yours. And there's you know if we think about the fine art world, there's so many antiquated aspects of the transaction, whether it's you know, sending a, you have to send, you get invoiced through an email, you have to call the gallery to confirm the wiring instructions to make, there, make sure there's no fraud, then you have to call your bank and initiate a wire, and then you have to wait a few days, and then you have to, you know, there's not even an automated response or way to tell if the wire went through successfully, so you have to ask the gallery if they got it, and then you have to, you know, get a shipping quote, so there's all these steps that are avoided. Um, of course, it's easy when it's 
you know, not a physical artwork, but, um, you know, it's much more secure as well. So I'm, I'm envious of those, uh, aspects of the transaction and, uh, but yeah, it's a really interesting space. And as you said, everyone talks about it every night, I think, uh, at dinner during freeze week, it was brought up by someone else. Um, so yeah, it'll be fascinating to see how this unfolds over the next several months. Yeah, and I think I think the, 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 just what you mentioned now is regarding I think the transaction element and the ease of uh, just carrying this thing out, and I think this sort of concept of ownership, um, you know, radically kind of thinking about a, a new concept of ownership, both in terms of what it means for artists, in terms of having potential recurring revenues from you know secondary sales uh, governed by a smart contract rather than any physical intermediary involved. Um, I think there's almost like kind of a, it changes in a, in a beautiful way. I think, you know, even if this has been a boom and, uh, and um, you know, there's probably a significant amount of hype uh, behind this, it's still, it's kind of felt that it's benefited actually the creator. It's benefited the artist. Uh, obviously, investors and speculators have also made money out of this. But in general, uh, whilst artists sometimes has been on the losing end, I think, you know, actually this is kind of turned, flipped, flipped the coin a bit the other way around, which I think is also quite refreshing. So I, I think there is, I, I agree with you. I think there's there's something to be envious of. And I think when when you beat technologies like this, which makes things so um, beautiful in a way, in a sort of ease ease easy ease of use, um, it reminds me of the kind of the search engines, you know, going from <laughs> Alta Vista to suddenly, you know, dealing with Google, which just shows my age probably by by saying that. But it just had that sort of sudden um feeling of wow this was something new this was so so much better um or going from a pc to a mac sometimes is just the ease of how things work so i think you know there are certain points where i think these technologies actually just because they are so uh superior to what exists it's actually in itself something that could you know cause change um you know, also in the in in the in the traditional art market as we know it today. So it's going to be very interesting to see what's what's going to happen going forward. Yeah, and also, you know, that got me starting to think about one thing, which is, you know, it makes sense. The auction houses are have really embraced NFTs. They're marketplaces. There's money to be made, so they're going to do it. But I think, you know, at a certain point, I feel like maybe some established galleries or maybe at least emerging fine art galleries will want to show some of these uh, NFT artists because, you know, there's so much money there and there is a collector base. It's different from the fine art collector base, but there is a collector base. So I think if that does happen, that will be really interesting because, you know, while auction houses are there to make, uh, you know, for a marketplace and to make the most money possible in an auction, galleries aren't just about selling the art. They're about cultivating and growing an artist's career. So I think that will be really interesting if that does happen because I'd really like to see how one of these NFT artists' careers could evolve and maybe they could do collaborations and projects and, you know, the galleries would try to get them into, you know, traditional art museums. And so I would be really fascinated to see how that uh, how that happens and maybe that's the way in which there could be some more crossover with fine art collectors and these NFT artists. No, definitely. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't need to be, I, you know, a lot of people when they see technologies like this, things like, OK, well, this is it's going to be disruptive and it's going to, you know, you know basically we have to kind of close the business as a result of it. I think in, in a sense, this could be a fantastic complementary channel, a little bit like in the early days of online sales. You know, you could either see it as a threat or you can embrace it and you can 
think about this as another platform to you know cultivate and and, and, and both the the artist and help the artist but also the obviously the audience that um, occupies that particular space and in this case I think you know the NFT <coughs> world um, you know has there's both wealth there that is looking to um, be spent and there's also obviously a, a next generation younger audiences involved in this that I think the art world you know might do good to start to reach out to so I'm, I'm also as you say I'm quite exciting and I think there is no reason why the traditional art world actually can benefit hugely from this by embracing technology. It's just that the art world in general tends to be a little bit slow when it comes to yeah, embracing change in general. Uh, but I think this is this is a real opportunity to, you know, also be able to shape what that NFT market might look in the future. And we might have, like in the collectibles world as we know it today, might have multiple layers and multiple segments and each one has their own rules and their own tastemakers etc like like we have in the in the physical um collectible space so uh, you know there's no reason why these couldn't mimic that in the digital sense next jared from new york city asks how did the art world not only survive but actually thrive during the pandemic so i think there are really two main components there one is the infrastructure that exists in the art market that enabled it to do so well while people were, while galleries were closed and everyone was dispersed across you know wherever they were and i i think a lot of that has to do with social media even before the pandemic the majority of the art world was on instagram it's such a visual platform um it enabled people to discover artists connect with artists to connect collectors to connect with each other and connect with galleries so that infrastructure is really there before the pandemic occurred and as a result and people were really comfortable buying via jpeg which is um you know a big part of that so i think that infrastructure was already there in place and that allowed the art market to thrive um despite galleries being closed and people not being able to visit uh you know places art capitals like new york london hong kong um, I think if that hadn't have existed, then I definitely think there would have been a lot more uh, challenges for the art market during the time. Then I think the second aspect is just more of an economic issue. But really, last March and April, we had substantial shocks to the stock market. And there was a lot of concern in people's voices and people sitting on the sidelines that I hadn't heard since the last global recession. But really, at the end of the day... The, every market, whether it's the art market, stock market, crypto, has recovered substantially just shortly after the pandemic ensued. I think people got a lot clearer picture of what this um, was going to be and how it might affect their finances. And also we've seen, I think, inflation for assets that have been um, you know, consumed by the wealthy, such as art. So I think when you combine those two together, that's the reason why we're seeing the art market performing so well, despite being in a pandemic. Yeah, I agree with you. I I think it's, I mean, it's been an exceptional year. Um, I'm looking back on it and we, we sort of obviously been tracking the online and the technology and, and, you know, the market art and technology and it's sort of for the last 10 years. And I think uh, in addition to what you said, I mean, you mentioned social media and I think, you know, had it not been there, I think, uh, you know, you would have cut off the market from a very incredible, you know, incredibly useful channel to reach out to audiences. I think, you know, if you look at these kind of initiatives, it's like you know the artist support pledge and you know other other campaigns out there which has definitely helped artists stay in touch with their fan base and even you know being able to sell works and monetize some of that is it's i think it's in you know, been been amazing. Uh, I do think also, in a sense, that the the pandemic has been a bit of a wake up call for the for the art world to you know embrace change and embrace the, you know technology. And I think obviously there was no choice during the last twelve months to 
um, but to actually go online or to use technology, whether it was Zoom or any other things to kind of communicate with your audiences. And I think in a sense, even if for many that might have been a tough um, transition, um, I think you know, the art world has been remarkably adaptable to this change, um, you know, with, with limited resources often, uh, but has been willing to kind of, you know, embrace this, these difficult and challenging circumstances and, and move towards the digital. And I think even if we come out of this, as we come out of this, this period, um, I think there will be a very substantial part of uh, the legacy of these last 12 months that will remain and that that particularly will be sort of embedded within the the how we perceive technology and the role of technology within uh, within the art world. So I think um, and I guess the, we just talked about NFTs. I think, you know, part this is part of the same thing. This is part of a, uh, you know, we are in, in a state of uh, you know, in, in, in a state of flux, in a sense that there's there's a lot of things that has to be questioned, how we did things in the past might not work in the future. We just talked about fairs, you know, a fair today might not be uh, uh, like a fair in the in, in pre pandemic. Um, and I think, you know, we had to kind of accept that. And I think the part of what was amazing during these, the, the, you know, these last 12 months, I think is how the art world has been adapting to change and been willing to embrace these these difficult circumstances, which I think it's it's made it thrive. I mean, the the art world is an, a, a small, nimble, innovative space. Uh, you know, it's occupied both by creatives in terms of the artists, but also the people behind the enterprises in the art world. I think you know are, are innovative, are creative, and are have, have definitely done uh, an enormous, I think, lift to keep this market going for the last twelve months. And I think that's that really sets up this market really well for 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 years to come. Uh, and I think we'll reap those benefits as we go forward. Yeah, and you know it's that's amazing to hear you say all of that because I remember, you know, a decade ago, kind of it was almost a joke how f- far the art market and the art world lagged from a technological perspective behind mm-hmm. seemingly every other industry, and to see you know the art world being able to adapt in such a successful way during a pandemic is really incredible and just kind of shows how far along we've really come. Yep. So the next question is from Gio Adid, who asks, how has the pandemic triggered the concept of red chip for fresh paint artists auctioning better than blue chips? So this kind of ties back. We had Scott Rayburn, actually, the uh, journalist on the podcast a few months ago, and he really is the one who coined this term red chip art. And he had just anecdotally observed that it seemed that a lot of younger artists, um, emerging artists, were having really eye-popping auction results that really were exceeding by several times over the you know prices that younger artists were achieving at auction you know during the last boom and uh, so we called them red chip art and so I think you know what the question's getting at really is about just why is there so much focus on these younger artists and why are they doing so well at auction and you know I guess from my perspective a lot of it just has to do with I feel like we're at this place where there's seems like there's more collectors now than ever really art the art market has become so global i think social media has had something to do with that opening things up and making it feel more accessible to people and people are willing to you know put um some money into into art but really it's become so global and there's so much demand on the primary market for these younger artists and you also have museums i think especially u.s museums who are you know, um, focused on acquisitions and really focused on um, correcting for 
holes that they have in their permanent collections. A lot of times that can be female artists, artists of color, but you know, the more established artists um, in those areas, their prices are so high that they can't afford them. So they've been really active the last few years, also on the primary market, um, trying to get younger artists who they think have a lot of potential and would turn into really successful artists and be great to have in their collections. So when you add all that together, there's just a lot of demand um, on the primary market. And it and so a lot of collectors, most collectors are not able to get access to these artists that they want. And so eventually one comes to auction and there's just so much built up demand. And you see museums collecting the artist's work already in this early part of their career that these just numbers pop um, and you get really strong results at auction. Um, and so uh, I feel like we're seeing it you know, the last several auction cycles. And I think this upcoming week, we'll see it again for some of these younger artists. Um, and I mean, to me, it's it's a bit concerning to have such high auction results for artists who are at such early stages in their career. But, um, you know, it's definitely happening. And it's definitely something that people are talking about a lot. I think it's interesting. I mean, I think, as you mentioned, at the end, uh, um, I mean, there there is obviously a slightly problematic side of this thing is that um, often when these artists then reaches these uh, levels, price levels, where it often deviates quite significantly from what they sell at primary market. Uh, and as you mentioned, it's sort of typically a symptom of some you know pent up demand that is existing because people are sitting on the waiting list, waiting to get access to the works and, and suddenly something comes up at, at one of the auction houses. And at that point, there is no it's not about relationships with a gallery anymore. It's really about, you know, who's got the thickest uh, wallet. Um, the problem, I think, you know, then is, is how, you know, what, what is going to be the, the future um, in terms of sustainability of the career of these artists. And I think, you know, obviously when you reach these levels, it's often speculation, um, more opportunistic buying. Um, and you mentioned collectors and new collectors. And there is a sort of a, you know, I think there is there are more people in now in the market that is looking at the art from a financial perspective, looking at it more from an asset class. Uh, you know, it's tough to get into the blue chip market without having millions to spend. And I think you know sometimes these younger artists gives people the, um, you know, the kind of the portal into a, an exciting market where there's huge upside potentially. Um, but I think it it, it, has, it does raise questions. I think with regards to, uh, you, you know, what happens to these artists' career, you know after such a sort of spike in auction prices and it's often very hard you know hard to sustain those prices uh, and often these prices will have to in order to be sustained they need to be complemented with with as you mentioned you know purchases by museum or museum exhibitions and if you can't sort of sustain that the level of of interest and activity uh you know another artist will pop in uh, next month and potentially replace you and then sort of and I think this sort of shifting, this constant shifting that there's new artists coming in virtually seems to be every auction season. Um, I'm not sure how good that is, uh, you know, in, in, in the longer term and, and how strong these artists' markets are in terms of sustaining that sort of, you know, initial shock, uh, positive <coughs> in terms of prices and then negative in the sense that the interest might sort of disappear. Um, uh, but I, I think, you know, we'll probably... In, there are, I guess, plenty of examples in, in history over times where we do see these groups of artists doing really well in, in a certain point in time. And then uh, many of them disappears, but maybe one or two out of that group of artists will, you know, will, will, will remain. Um, but yeah, no, there, there are, it, it's an interesting phenomenon that for me carries both uh, certain challenges as well as, as opportunities. 
Yeah, I I agree completely. And I, I you know, what I've been seeing is just a lot of experienced collectors are kind of sitting on the sideline and really are not participating at auction mm. for any of these red chip artists because they just think, you know, they've seen it in the past. They've seen, you know, yeah. and what you touched on, how an artist prices can rise. But when they rise so fast, there's almost, it feels like there's nowhere to go but down. I mean, it's just yeah. so hard to sustain that over a career. A career is a long time for a successful artist. And ideally what you want is a slow, gradual rise. Um, not nearly as much volatility as you're seeing. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I've seen a lot of experienced collectors who really maybe one or two artists they'll target, but other than that, they're for these younger artists, they're just not interested, uh, in participating in on the, you know, at auction and paying these high prices. And so it makes, does make me wonder, is it, you know, newer collectors, maybe collectors who have entered the space in the last three or four, five years who have only seen prices go up, haven't experienced a correction. Are these the people that are, uh, mm. you know, buying at these levels? Um, so, you know, it's also, yeah, the, go ahead. the other thing is also, I guess it's sometimes it's, I guess the media would focus on, on many of these artists and, and uh, you will sort of tend to maybe get a little bit of skewed picture thinking this is the only thing that's happening and that blue chip is out and red chip is in. Um, we just I just looked at some figures from 2020. There was arguably the first or eight months of the year, but um, you know the, these red chip artists, um, you know, tip, accounted for about four, four and a half, five percent of the total market, and 95 percent was still within the blue chip. So I think it's also it's it's important to kind of bear things in a bit of a perspective. Is that yes, there is um, enormous amount of kind of activity and things happening in in a certain among a certain group of artists, but still. The blue chip is, uh, you know, a, 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 you know, I would say the, the dominant part of the market still. Um, so some, sometimes one gets a little bit of a, uh, a, a skewed view of, of reality. But uh, but it's an it's an it's a very interesting and as you say, upcoming auctions I think will will also tell us a little bit about uh, you know where where this particular market is heading uh, in 2021. Yeah, I remember the last uh, correction we had. I remember right afterwards you know people started to refocus on these more established blue chip artists like warhol kusama calder all these names and i thought oh yeah i forgot it's like we forgot about all of them but they had they're here they've been here the whole time they're in the art history yeah. books they're important um so yeah that it, that trend will be really interesting to continue to follow and see where things go with it um and our last question for the episode is from jennifer in la she says, I'm a new collector. What's the best way to learn about the art market so I don't make a bunch of mistakes? Um, what, should, what would be your advice for her? Well, I, I think it's, I mean, I think, I guess for me, the, the art world, is, it's, it's, it's the pleasure of the journey in the sense that it's not something that you can, um, I think it's something that you need to give yourself time, um, time to study, time to experience. Obviously, experience art has been tricky in the last uh, months, but uh, as things opening up, uh, it, it's really I think it's it's about education and learning and seeing and building a network around your people that you trust. Um, I think there's obviously an enormous wealth of information now available, you know, through the web and, and otherwise where you can, you know, definitely build up your your um, knowledge about the the art itself, the artists and the marketplace uh, for obviously for us as, as what we do is um, 
information analysis and research on the art market. I think it is important also, even if you're coming as a collector into a marketplace and are predominantly driven by your emotional and interest and passion for art, uh, to know the the rules uh, of the market, to to know who's playing and who's part of this. I think it's it doesn't necessarily need to, to you know distract or detract from the pleasure of enjoyment of art. I think, but it's I think it's useful. Uh, to be able to navigate and inform yourself as you sort of go through this market and the different uh, you know pitfalls and opportunities. Um, so so to learn the mechanics and dynamics of the market, which I think is constantly evolving. I mean we spoke today, Adam, and just in terms of NFTs, we wouldn't have spoken about that a year ago. So you know these things are exciting and it's a, it's, it's 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 like in any industry. I think if you were you know interested in uh, you know. Any, any 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 industry around the world is actually to study understand the dynamics of it and i think there's a little bit about the the art world as well it's not only about the objects uh, and i think it's a lot about understanding the context in which these objects are being transacted promoted curated exhibited and and you know um and, and so forth so um i would i would recommend um uh jennifer to 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 yeah take take her time um but uh use the information out there um and i'm not obviously plugging myself but because there's plenty of information out there to to uh to explore but it's uh, i would say use use information that is now so freely available uh to to uh, educate yourself and then combine that with obviously the physical pleasure of enjoyment of art and seeing exhibitions and seeing art in real life yeah, I, I think that's a great answer. I agree completely. Um, and I think, yeah, just to highlight, I think some of the two main things or to reemphasize what you said. One, try to see as much art as you can in person. Um, I think uh, I kind of view seeing art in person. It's like a knife. You want to always be sharpening it. Um, and I think the more art you see in person, the better eye you'll get um, over time. Um, but I do think in addition to that, um, and figuring out what you like aesthetically. You know, go to art fairs. Um, even if you're not buying anything, you can see so many different artists work um, at a given time. And maybe in the future, you'll consider buying a work by one of those artists. And if, at least if you've seen something in person by them, then you'll have a better sense of what it will look like in your home. Um, and I think, yeah, try to find maybe one or two people. Um, if you don't know them directly, try to maybe make connections with people on Instagram, just try to find one or two collectors or people that you can trust um, who have have some experience in the art world, um, and you can ask them questions. You know, when you think what their opinions are about an artist, or you know why you know if you have a question about an auction or anything else, you can ask them about it, um, or if they ask them about a reputation of a gallery. I think um, you know it's a, like you said, it's a journey collecting art. Um, everyone uh, makes mistakes and. Also, they also evolve as a collector and figure out, you know, what it, what their passions are um, and what it is they want to collect. Um, so it's a journey. Uh, try to read as much as you can, and but I think it's important to be able to have a few few, few people that you trust that you can ask them for their advice um, along the way. Um, yeah, well, Anders, sure. thanks so much for joining us today. I think it was a lot of fun answering some of these questions, and we appreciate everyone who submitted questions and. We hope to do another mailbag episode later this year. Yeah, it would be great, Adam. Uh, thanks again for, uh, well, first of all, host, hosting it, Adam, and also for uh, those who sent in the questions. And um, it's been great. I would love to do this again. Perfect. All right. Speak soon, Anders. Thanks so much. Take, take care. Thanks so much to Artbase for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast. Are you managing an art collection, an artist studio, or gallery? 
Is it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? Well, Artbase is the right software to manage your art business. Artbase lets you track your artworks and contacts in an easy-to-use, powerful database. Enter your data just once and use that data to generate reports, offers, contracts, and much more. They've got a brand new version out with a whole new look that can be used on the cloud from any location on any device. So what are you waiting for? Go to artbase.com, that's A-R-T-B-A-S-E.com to learn more, and be sure to mention Art Tactic for a 15% discount. 